have been um, staying up, having sleepless nights, trying to figure out what our next series would be, I'm sure. Uh, we are going to be finding ourselves going back to the Old Testament. We've been looking at the New Testament for a long time, and several of you have even asked and said, I'd like to go back to the Old Testament. And we're going to do that. We're going to be actually, over the next indeterminate amount of time, uh, we are going to be looking at the book of Joshua and most likely followed by the book of Judges. And we're going to look at a transition period in the life of Israel. And I think that's uh, a fundamental um, message that we can look at as we look through the book of Joshua and Judges. And there is transitions happening in Israel as they are trying to um, figure out how the nation works, how life works, and where we see ups and downs in their relationship with God. And I think it's appropriate, as the elders and I have talked, that Joshua and Judges... In a way, and this is not a perfect, obviously, parallel, but in a way, our church is in a transition phase as we are still considering looking for uh, another pastor to join here, another teaching elder. And so we're in a transition phase. We may be in a while. We're hopefully building a building soon. There's lots of things changing. And as we come to that, we're going to look at Joshua and Judges, and we're going to see what happens in these books as we look back at Israel and see what happened in their transition time and how God worked in that and how they responded. And we're going to start this this morning by starting right in Joshua chapter 1. <clears throat> so if you want to turn there to get ahead, you may do that. Uh, before we get there, um, the question that we're going to answer today, hopefully, uh, is how can we live a truly courageous life? How can we truly live <clears throat> a courageous life? And uh, in order to figure that question out, there's a couple things we need to understand. And one of them is, first of all, what is courage? You know, we... Have courage. We talk. We use the word courage a lot. You know, if you know the Wizard of Oz, the Cowardly Lion, he needed courage. That's what his whole goal was. But what is courage? How do we define it? How does the world define it? And then ultimately, we're going to see today how I believe God defines courage. You know, courage can be something as simple as this week. I had to go into the dentist, and uh, many of you have heard the story. And I didn't. I had to get some dental work done, uh, and I was scared. You know, I was nervous. I was praying the whole time. I know it's not a big deal to get a tooth pulled. Everybody's had it done mostly. But I was scared and I said, I could have gotten up and run away, but yet I sat on the chair and let the guy do his work, as however poorly that was done. So, um, but we use courage in that sense. We use courage in a lot of ways. When we have courage to do something, to set out on our own, to uh, do something that we know we're afraid of or something that uh, we are unsure of and yet we step forward in that. The literal definition of courage, as you look at Webster's Dictionary, is mental or moral strength to venture, persevere, withstand danger, fear, or difficulty. That's kind of says a lot about nothing. Mental or moral strength to venture, persevere, and withstand danger, fear, or difficulty. Another definition I found is feeling fear but choosing to act in spite of it. And that's not a bad definition. Uh, some other definitions that I found as I looked around of how the world defines courage, because everybody has a little bit of a different view. Uh, so uh, these are just a few that I found in an article. Uh, one was, uh, courage is following your heart above all else. Courage is perseverance in the face of adversity. Courage is standing up for what is right. Courage is expanding your horizons and letting go of the familiar. And another one was facing suffering with dignity. 
Now, these, some of these are good. I mean, perseverance in the face of adversity, that's good. Standing up for what is right, those are great. And I would say following your heart and expanding your horizons, that is what the world is starting to say is courage. If you just follow how you feel and you expand your life to expand and, and, and just cast off everything else and just be yourself. In fact, that's one of the big themes and one of the big messages of our world today, that courage is being yourself. And that courage is being true to yourself and following your heart. That's really where it comes down to. All these other definitions we've looked at, a lot of those are true. Feeling fear but choosing to act. That is courage. And there is courage that we can find in we have mental or moral strength to do something even when we're afraid. And that is courage. But yet, as I said, today's world says courage is just being true to yourself. Following your own whims. Following your heart. In fact... Uh, in 2015, many of you will remember this. In 2015, the ESPN ESPY Awards gave a Courage Award. And in 2015, they give a Courage Award every year. But in 2015, uh, this award was given to uh, Bruce Jenner, who had become Caitlyn Jenner. And it was celebrating the trans- transgenderism of, uh, of that person. And, so, and that was an award that was given out. And it was an award for courage. And at that point... It was another, just a big sign to say that what the world says is courage is to just follow whatever you want to do and follow your heart and be yourself. Now, am I going to say today that you need to, that courage is not being yourself? Well, I think it can be that if you're being yourself in light of who you are in Christ. But it can't just be being yourself because you feel a certain way and you want to follow that no matter what people think. No matter what God thinks. That's not courage. But that is what the world says. So we have a general idea of what courage is. We have a general definition. We kind of know what that means. We know what the world is trying to say that courage is. Uh, And really then the question becomes then with courage is how do we face difficulty? Or how do we face the unknown? When life gets tough or when we don't know what's coming and when the fear starts to come in, how can we truly have courage? All of us face change or uncertainty in our lives. If you haven't faced change or uncertainty in your life yet, you will very soon. Uh, Groups of people, as a church, we will face times of change or uncertainty. And how will we handle it? How will we respond? Well, when we face these things, do we respond just by being true to ourselves, following our heart, and expanding our horizons? Or is there a better way? And I would say... Uh, in scripture it's very obvious there's a better way that courage is defined by God is much more than just feeling fear but choosing to act and it is completely different than just following whatever your heart says but indeed it's following God and so the book of Joshua I believe answers these very questions what is courage and how do we face difficulty or the unknown because in the book of Joshua we see that's what's happening Joshua and the Israelites are facing difficulty and they're facing the unknown. And how will they handle it? And how will they be courageous? I'm going to just read uh, Joshua chapter 1. I'm going to look at the first nine verses. And you're going to see here, even in these nine verses, why we're talking about courage. And it's because three times in this passage, uh, Joshua is told to be courageous. So Joshua 1, 1. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now therefore arise, go over this Jordan, you and all these people, into the land which I am giving them, the people of Israel. 
every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, and I have given you just as I promised to Moses. From the wilderness and, the, uh, and this Lebanon, as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, and all the land of the Hittites, and the great sea toward the going down of the sun, shall be your territory. No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you or forsake you. Be strong and courageous, for you shall cause this people to inherit the land which I swore to their fathers to give them. Only be strong and very courageous, being careful to do according to the law that Moses, my servant, has commanded you. Do not turn from it uh, to the right hand or to the left hand, that you may have good success wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it, on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and you will have good success. Have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened and do not be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Three times in this passage, Joshua is told by God to be strong and courageous. And that's why we start talking about courage and why Joshua is a book about courage. What true courage is and how we face difficulty, how we face the unknown. And that's what we're going to see as we continue to journey through Joshua. But before we can dive into what Joshua has to say about the topic of courage and and why and how we can understand courage in light of these verses and as well as the rest of the book, we do need to take a few minutes, or if you know me, probably a few more, to get a context of the book that we're about to be studying. We need to have a context. We need to understand where we're at. Because we just start reading and it's like, okay, we're just reading Joshua. But remember, Joshua is the sixth book of the Bible. There's already been a lot of history that's happened before this. <clears throat> and so we just need to take some time, and even in these verses, kind of, they kind of point us to the past to figure out the context of what we see happening here in Joshua. Well, the first thing we see right away in verses one, verse 1, the first part of verse 1, and the first part of verse 2, says, after the death of Moses, and then it says in verse 2, Moses, my servant, is dead. There is a clear timing here of what is where the starting point of Joshua is. And the starting point of Joshua is the ending point of Moses. Uh, and we see Moses, if you know Moses, if you look throughout the scripture, in just a minute we'll do a, a brief overview of what we've seen in the nation of Israel. But Moses uh, is the one who led the people of Israel out of Egypt, gave them their freedom, and is bringing them to their promised land. See, Moses has been the leader of the Israelites. He's been the mediator between God and the Israelites. He's been the deliverer, the one that has brought them out of Egypt. And he's been doing this for 40 years, over 40 years, at least 40 years of wandering, plus all the time it took to get from Egypt uh, or to Canaan. And so Moses is who Israel knows as their leader. In fact, a lot of Israel would find their identity in Moses, and they even did even until Jesus' day and even until today. That Moses is the one. He is the one that really is seen, even though Abraham was the one that the promises were given to. Moses is the father of Israel in a lot of ways. Because he is the one that delivered them. He is the one that brought them to the promised land. And so Moses has been their leader, mediator, and deliverer for over 40 years. And now he's dead. Now he's dead. Moses is gone. The one they knew, the only leader this Israel has ever known. And now he's gone. And the question that's going to be on the horizon for Israel is very simple. Where are we going from here? What would this new nation do without its leader? 
What would this new nation do with the only person they've ever known to be their leader? And it is a time of anxiety. It is a time of the unknown. It is a, it is a time of change. And now they are about to brace this. They're trying to figure this out. And so Moses has died. We need to understand. Uh, we need to understand that Moses is gone. So we're told here in verse 1 that after the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, So not only are we told that Moses died, but now we're told that there's a new man that has come in to be the leader of Israel. One that would fill the shoes of Moses, and he's the one that's about to uh, actually complete what Moses started by taking the people into the promised land. So let's talk about who Joshua is. Uh, We see Joshua here. We need to understand who he is and where he came from. He didn't just pop up randomly. All of a sudden, just this guy, uh, Joshua, just shows up and Moses says, Hey, or you can do it. No, this isn't how this worked. Uh, in, we see Joshua, right off the bat, his name. And if you know the Hebrew and Greek and how those things work together, Joshua's name is literally, the translation is Yahweh saves. It's the Hebrew equivalent of Jesus. Kind of interesting that even here, Joshua is, and we're going to see a lot of things that are going to foreshadow Jesus. That Joshua was a deliverer and he brought victory in the same way that Jesus will bring victory uh, over sin. And so Joshua is, a, is a, a foreshadowing of Jesus even in his name. And it means Yahweh saves. And so that's an important thing to understand even about Joshua to start. In this verse, we're told that Joshua is Moses' assistant. Moses' assistant. He was the one that's been going along with Moses. He's been Moses' right-hand man for a long time. And so he's not only learned from Moses, but he's watched what's happened with Moses. He's been a spectator on how Moses has led. He's also been taught by Moses, and he's been his assistant. So he didn't just come out of the blue. He's already been with Moses. I'm not going to go back to all these passages, but Joshua is first introduced to us in Scripture in Exodus 17. In Exodus 17, 8 through 14, Moses chooses him to lead the army against a nation called Amalek. And they have victory in that battle. In that battle, God wins the victory. And, we, and Joshua is the man who was leading the army as he watched God have victory over a people. A people that had giants in the land, as we would be told. And so Joshua back then was already being groomed in one sense when Moses chose him to lead the army. He accompanied Moses to Mount Sinai in Exodus 24. He accompanied him onto the mountain as Moses received the Ten Commandments. And then he waited for him on the mountain and descended the mountain with him when they found all the rest of Israel worshiping the golden calf. Joseph was with Moses then. Or Joshua was with Moses then. And so Joshua, uh, we've seen him there. We've also exper- seen that he has experienced the presence of God with Moses. In Exodus thirty three eleven. Moses builds a tent in which is, before the tabernacle is built, he builds a tent to kind of get away from the people who are living a sinful life and to worship God. And, and there's a, in a very small way, God's presence is in that tent. And Joshua is said to be with him in Exodus chapter 33. In Numbers 13, we see Joshua is one of the 12 spies that it was chosen to go to spy on the promised land to see if it was a land that was ready to be taken. And Moses sends in 12 spies, and, and we'll talk about that a little bit later, but he is one of those spies. He comes back, he's one of the two good spies that comes back and says, listen, we can take the land because God is strong enough. We'll talk about that in just a minute, a little bit more. In Numbers 27... We see that God talks to Moses and says, Moses, I want Joshua to be the one to succeed you. 
And so God has already told Moses that in Numbers 27. And then in Deuteronomy 31, God and Moses both speak to Joshua and commission him, even before Moses is dead, and they commission Joshua to be the next leader over the people of Israel in Deuteronomy 31. And if you wanted to go back to Deuteronomy 31, I'd encourage you to read that, that passage if you don't have time this morning. But if you read Deuteronomy 31, even in that passage, both God and Moses and the people tell Joshua to be strong and courageous. I think it's three times even in that passage. So now six times total we've had this said. Be strong and courageous. It's obvious that what is being entered into is going to require courage and strength. And where is Joshua going to find that courage? For a little bit more context, not only do we see that Moses is dead and Joshua is now taking over, Israel is at a point where they are waiting for a land. They are waiting for a land. In verse 2, it says, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now, therefore, arise, go over this Jordan, you and all this people, into the land that I am giving to them, the people of Israel. God reminds Joshua that there is a land that Israel has been waiting for. So let's do some background on that. Why is Israel waiting for a land? Well, if you remember back in Genesis, we have creation. God creates the world. Um, the world sins, they fall. Adam and Eve eat the fruit, and there's sin that it, it goes throughout the world. God has to send a flood. He saves Noah and his family through the flood. After the flood, then the people grow great, and they try to build a tower, and they all gather together in Babel. God disperses them by changing all their languages. And after that happens, a little while later, God calls a man named Abraham. He, got, he called Abram at that point, would change his name to Abraham, but he calls Abram to be set apart from the rest of the world, to walk away from the idol worship of the, of the world, and to follow him alone. And so Abraham then is set apart, and God meets with Abraham throughout the book of Genesis, and he promises Abraham, he makes a covenant with Abraham, and he says, Abraham, I'm going to give you a blessing, I'm going to make you a blessing, and I'm going to give you a family, descendants more than you can count. And then also one of the three things that God promised Abraham is I'm going to give you a land for your nation to dwell. That your family will dwell in a land. And that land was the land of Canaan. That was promised by God to Abraham. Abraham gives birth to Isaac eventually. Uh, and then Jacob also is born then of Isaac. And, these, uh, and through Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, we start to see the promises begin to be fulfilled. We start seeing their family be blessed. We start seeing a family growing. And, but one thing that we haven't seen yet is a land that goes along with the promise. They haven't been big enough. They haven't taken a land. They haven't taken the land to be their own at this point uh, in, in, in Genesis. But then we see an interesting thing happens. Jacob's family spreads and they move to Egypt during the famine. There's a worldwide famine. Remember the story of Joseph. Joseph is in Egypt after he's been sold by his brothers. And uh, he saves up food. And he ends up being the agent to save the people of Israel. God uses Joseph to save Jacob and his family. And Jacob and his family end up moving to Egypt and being settled in an area away from the rest of Egypt. And in that time, when they are in Egypt, they grow into a nation. In Egypt, Jacob's family, which now would be known as Israel, grows into a nation of people. Exodus 1.7 tells us that while they're in, in Egypt, they grow and they continue to grow until they become a nation of people and an abundance of families. And so God is working his promise to Abraham even while they're in Egypt. 
And if Egypt hadn't happened and if they hadn't been protected by Egypt during the famine, they would have not grown to the size they were. But after they grow to that size, we know the story. Israel is put into slavery. The Pharaoh is afraid of the people because they're so large. And so he is afraid of them, so he puts them into slavery. Uh, We see Moses enters the scene. Pharaoh is killing all the boys that are Israelites. Uh, Moses is protected by his mother and his sister. Uh, and, And as... Uh, all the infant babies are being, all the infant boys are being killed. Moses is preserved. He ends up living in Pharaoh's house with Pharaoh's daughter. And so God is using Moses then. And then Moses, after he grows up, uh, he kills a, an Egyptian. He knows that he's a Hebrew. He knows that he's an Israelite. And he runs away and he spends some time away. God calls him at the burning bush. And at that burning bush, God says, Moses, you're going to be the one to lead my people out of Israel or out of Egypt. And so Moses is called to do that. He argues with God a little bit. There's a lot of things going on there. He doesn't think he's good enough. But in the end, God does send Moses to Pharaoh. And Moses confronts Pharaoh. And after a lot happens, we have ten plagues happen. Israel is set free. Israel is set free from their bondage in Egypt. And they are now living uh, uh, their independent lives as they are now been led out of Egypt and they're on the way to the promised land. The new nation is heading back to their promised land <clears throat> as God prepares their way. You remember the pillar of cloud, pillar of fire that leads them. Uh, parting of the Red Sea, Moses does that. Moses is the one that has been leading the people and he's leading them towards the promised land. <clears throat> All this happens in Exodus. Then we see in the book of Numbers... They finally get to the promised land. It seems like the promise that was made to Abraham, remember, a blessing, a family, and a land, that that land was finally going to be theirs, that Israel was finally going to have land. And they get there, and Moses sends in 12 spies, if you remember the story. I already mentioned it earlier. 12 spies go in, 12 come back. 10 of them say, the land is, is great, but the people are too strong for us. We're not going to be able to take the land. We can't do it. Ten of them say, no way. And they tell, uh, they tell the Israelites, we can't do it. We can't get into this land. We can't defeat the people. They're giants. Two, Caleb and Joshua come back and say, yes, the, yes, the land is great. Yes, the people are strong. But yes, God is bigger. God is greater. God can have the victory. But the people of Israel don't listen to Joshua and Caleb. They don't listen to Moses. And instead, they rebel, and they say, we're not going to enter the land. And as a result, God curses Israel to spend 40 years in the wilderness until all the generation that didn't believe that God could have the victory passed away. 40 years of wandering in the wilderness as this generation dies, with the exception of Caleb and Joshua. We even see Moses dies before he can enter the promised land. Uh, Moses is told by God he's not going to be able to. Because as they're wandering, Moses gets angry with the people, tries to take things into his own hand, hits a rock to give water when God said to speak to it. And that disobedience causes Moses to only be able to look into the promised land but not be able to enter. And that's why we go back and find ourselves here where Moses now has died. Now the 40 years is now complete. Moses is gone. And the time has come to take possession of the land that was promised to Abraham. You see, I I go through all that context, and I know it seems like a lot, but this is where we're at in Israel's history. The promise that God gave to Abraham, 
all those years ago and through all this time and through Egypt and through them being let out of Egypt, now finally, after 40 more years of wandering, finally the land, the promise of the land is there to be taken. And Joshua is now the one that is given the responsibility and the privilege to lead the people into that promise. And that is where we find ourselves as we enter Joshua. So that's some background that we needed to have. We saw Moses is dead, Joshua is here, and the people of Israel have been waiting for this land. They've been waiting for the promise to come true. And now we see God speaking to Joshua and saying it's time. That is why I believe there's so much emphasis on courage here in this first part and also throughout the whole book. And I believe in these first nine verses we can see God's definition of courage. Because this is an unknown time. It's a new leader. It's a new land. There are people that they're still going to have to defeat. The same giants and the same people that were too strong that the ten said we'd never be able to defeat are still in the land. There is going to be an uphill battle as it looks in the human mind. There is, this is an impossible battle, an impossible thing. And is Joshua going to have courage in the face of this huge mission to take the land that God has promised? Or is he going to be afraid and walk away? Is he going to do the same thing that Israel did before? Now, a lot of times I've heard it said, because he's told to be strong and courageous so many times, that obviously Joshua must have been timid and afraid. He must have been kind of a wimp. I actually don't necessarily think that's true. Remember, he's already led Israel in a battle. Uh, he, was, he came back, and even though ten spies were saying, no, we shouldn't go, he was one of the two that said, hey, let's go, because God can do it. I don't think Joshua was a timid, afraid, feeble um, uh, wimpy man. I believe that he trusted God and I believe he found his strength in him and I believe that this reminder of being strong and courageous is just that, a reminder. Because there's going to be tough days to come and Joshua needs the reminder that he can be courageous, he can be strong because of God. And that's what we're going to see as God defines courage here in the first nine verses. So the first thing I'm going to say about courage, what true courage is, the first thing is it's trusting in God's promises. Courage is trusting in God's promises. It's not trusting in ourselves or trusting what we can manufacture for ourselves, but it's trusting God's promises. In verses 3 through 5, as God is talking to Joshua, this is what he says. Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given to you, just as I promised to Moses. From the wilderness and to this Lebanon, as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites, to the great sea towards going down of the sun, shall be your territory. No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you or forsake you. These verses tell us very simply that God has promised the land to Israel. It's another reminder. He's reminding Joshua, listen. Be strong and courageous, as he's going to tell him in a minute. You're about to go into the land, but remember, the land that you're going into is not land that somehow you have to take for yourselves. It is land that I've already given to you. This is huge. Because when we have life, when we need to be courageous in our life for Christ, when we need to have courage and stand in the face of fear, we don't have to be afraid because we can trust in the promises of God. We can trust that God is the God he says he is, and he's going to do what he's going to do. And we'll look at in just a minute what the promises are for us. But we need to trust in God's promises. And God has shown here that he's already promised the land to Israel. He says, Joshua, it's yours. I'm giving, to it, giving it to you. All you have to do is take it. Makes courage a little easier to think about. God, being fearless is not about just trumping up enough strength in ourselves, but it's trusting in God. 
In verse 6, we see that the mission that is given to Joshua is, is, I've already kind of got ahead of myself, but in verse 6, be strong and courageous, for you shall cause this people to inherit the land that I swore to their fathers to give them. What is Joshua's mission? What is Joshua's mission? It's simple. It's not to go in and to uh, make a name for himself and to create a nation. He's simply, the mission of Joshua is to take hold of the land. Joshua's mission is to take hold, to reach out and take the gift that God has already given. That is where courage can be found because Joshua's mission is not to find strength in himself and to give fear away so that he can be courageous to go into battle. So his courage is that he needs to trust what God has promised. He needs to trust that the land is already theirs and that his mission is simply to take it. And that is his mission. As we look at Joshua, I don't want to leave with just telling a story. This is history, but there's stuff for here for us to see here. And as Joshua had to trust God's promise, we can do the same thing. We can trust in God's promises to us. So when we are facing a time of uncertainty, we're facing a time of change, we're facing difficulty in our life, and we want to know how we can have the courage to face it, we can trust God's promises to us. Over in the book of Hebrews, and I use the word trust, I could easily use the word faith as well. But in the book of Hebrews, Hebrews talks about faith. And faith is simply trusting. But what does he, how does he define faith in Hebrews? And the writer of Hebrews in chapter 11, uh, I love uh, verse 1, but also verse 6 in, in chapter 11 of Hebrews. First of all, verse 1 says, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. That we know something is coming that has been promised. And then he says even more as we come on to verse 6. Verse 6 in Hebrews chapter 11. And without faith it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists. And that he rewards those who seek him. How do we show faith? How do we have trust in the face of difficulty? Well it's right here. Faith is seen in when we believe in who God is and we believe that God's going to do what he said he would do. That's true faith. It's believing in God and it's believing that he's done what he's done and that he'll do what he says he's going to do. But that leaves us with a question for us. If we can trust God's promises to us, we know that faith is trusting in God and what he's going to do. What has he promised us? There's a classic passage that we've read so many times, even from this pulpit, Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8, I would encourage you to read the whole chapter. The whole chapter talks about the promises that God has given to us, the promise that we can have victory over sin, the promise that we have, uh, we have eternal life with Christ. All of those things are promises to us that we can trust in. But in verses 28 and 29, which are so familiar to all of us, as as Paul writes Romans and writes this chapter and talks about all we have to look forward to and all the promises that God has given us, all that we can look forward to and all that we can really grasp. In verses 28 and 29 he says this, and know that for those who love God and all think, for those who love God and are called uh, to work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose, for those whom he foreknew, we also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that in order that he might be the firstborn among the brothers. What is God's promise to us that he will do good for us in the sense that he will make us more and more like Jesus Christ? We can trust in that promise even in the times of difficulty. That we have eternal life with Christ. That we have uh, victory over sin and death. 
But we have all of that through Jesus Christ. There is nothing that can come against us. Later on in in chapter 8, it says that we are conquerors through him who loved us. The promise is we already have the victory. Just as Joshua and the rest of Israel already had the victory over Canaan, all they had to do was reach out and grab it. We also have victory over sin and death through Jesus if we will just reach out to him and grab him. That we will reach out and have him as our savior, to trust him and trust his promises. That is the promise we have. That he will cause good to come to us as we become more like him and as we can conquer and have victory over sin. And have eternal life and see our victory over death because of his victory over sin and death. That is the promise that we can hold to when we need to find courage. So courage is trusting in God's promises. We can't trust in God's promises if we don't know what his promises are. Reading Romans 8, we saw some of those. But there's so many more in his word. And that's why we also need to know what he said. What his word is. And that leads us to our next point. Courage is not only trusting in God's promises, but it's living by God's laws. Living by God's laws. Now, I know the word law scares a lot of people. We think about law, we think of legalism. We think, all right, you can't do this, you, ha- you can do this, you can't do that, you, you have to dress this certain way, or you have to eat this certain food. When God talks about laws, that's partially what it is, but let's remember, even the book of the law is really, you could translate the same word for law as instructions. We kind of talked about it even in ABF today. God doesn't give law to punish people. God gives laws to protect people. It, you know, to, to put it out there ahead of time so we don't make mistakes that will ultimately hurt us. And God's word gives us laws, gives us instructions for living. Just like if we, uh, when we get a, a new toy or something we need to build, you know, and we don't follow the instructions, so many times we can mess it up. But if we will just take the instruction book and read it, then we can actually get it right And that is what God is trying to do through his word, to give us instructions for living. Follow his word and things will will go well. If you go against his word, things are going to go poorly because you are going against what he has said in his instruction book. And so courage is living by God's laws or instructions. How do we see this in Joshua? Well, we see this several times. First, we see that Joshua is told to obey God's laws, verse 7 and 8. Verse 7 and 8. Only be strong and very courageous, being careful to do according to all the law that Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it from the right hand or to the left, that you may have good success wherever you go. The book of the law shall not depart from your mouth. But you shall meditate it on day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous. Then you will have good success. In these verses, we see that Joshua is told to obey, to do God's laws, to obey what God says, the instructions that he's given. He said, Joshua, if you want to be courageous, be strong and courageous, he says that, then he follows it directly after saying, be strong and courageous, be careful to do according to all the law that my my servant Moses has commanded you. And then again, says it again, that you need to do the law, do the word. That we need to take the time not only to listen to it or hear it or read it, but to obey it. In verse 8, another piece that Joshua is told is he's not only told just to obey it, but it says the book of the law shall not depart from your mouth. Joseph is called to speak God's laws, God's truth, God's word. That not only is he going to obey it and do it in his own life and live a life that is following the law, which is great, he's also going to speak of it. 
He will speak of it to his kids. He will speak of it to his friends, to the other elders of Israel. He will speak God's law to the people. And that it will continue to be in his mouth day and night, that he will speak it. But also, Joshua is not only told to obey and to do God's laws and to speak of God's laws, but he's also told in verse 8 again to meditate on God's laws. The book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be able to be careful to do according to what is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. Joshua is told to meditate on God's laws. The idea of meditate is another word I've, I've heard, and it's to marinate. No, it's just to, to be in God's word so much that it just becomes a part of you. It's, you know, it's when you meditate on God's word, and you don't just read it and leave it. You know, just, oh, that was a good, that was a good book to read, and then we put it off to the side and just forget about it. That's not meditating. That's reading. You can read any book, but you can meditate on God's word. Not meditate like the Eastern religions would want us to do where we have to cross our legs and and all that. That's not meditate, right? Meditate is to think about, to ponder, to really let it soak in. And Joshua is told, let God's laws soak into you. Meditate on it. Think about it. Dwell on it. And you know, the interesting thing is, the other two things we've talked about, speaking God's laws and obeying God's laws, those are a natural result of meditating. If you meditate on something and it becomes part of you, as you just, you, you, you eat it, you sleep it, you drink it, you, you think it, all your life becomes so saturated with God's word that it's going to be natural for you to speak about it. In your conversations, it's just going to be natural. You're not going to have to uh, think through every time you have a conversation, oh, I should probably quote a verse here and think it through and then quote the verse. You should be so saturated in God's word that you can just speak God's word in everyday conversation. And to obey God's laws, if, it, if you have meditated on it and you've soaked it in, then it's just going to be natural for you to live it out. And Joshua is told to do these three things, to obey, to speak, and to meditate on God's laws and God's word. And we should do the same. Matthew seven twenty four. many of you know that's part of the parable where God is talking about what you're going to build your house on. Build your house on the sand or build your house on the rock. And he says, those who do the words that I say will build their house on the rock. Jesus is very clear that it's not just about hearing it, it's not just about reading it, but it's about doing it, it's about obeying, it's about that. James, I do want to turn to James, because James has a lot to say on this. James chapter 1, starting in verse 19. James 1.19 speaks on this very idea of how we should handle the word, God's laws, the, what he's given to us, what he's written to us. Starting in verse 19 of James chapter 1. Know this, my beloved brothers. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the, right, <clears throat> excuse me, the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant, <clears throat> excuse me, and rampant wickedness. And receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word... And not a doer. He is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. James is very clear. He talks a few things. He says, first of all, be quick to hear. And this verse is not just about being quick to listen in a conversation. That's part of it. 
But really, even more than that, because it goes on in verse 21, it says, put away all filthiness and wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word. Receive the implanted word. Just think about the way that James phrases that. We receive it as being implanted. It has this idea of meditation, doesn't it? Like soaking it in. It's implanted in us. And taking that word, it, receiving that word, not just reading it and listening to it, but receiving it, taking it in. But then he says, don't just take it in, but then he says, be doers of the word and not hearers only deceiving yourselves. Then he says, we need to look into the perfect law of liberty and we need to persevere. And we should not be a hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts. You see, Joshua is told these things, but so are we. If we want to have true courage, true courage in the face of adversity, true courage in the face of the unknown, it is trusting in God's word and God's laws. It's meditating on them, letting them soak into us. It's speaking them. It's, it's being willing to speak God's word and it'll just be a part of us and it's willing to do God's word, to obey what he says to do. That is true courage. True courage is listening to God's word and applying it. That is true courage. Because our natural self doesn't want to do that. Our natural self wants to follow our own heart, go our own way, be ourselves. But God says, don't be yourself, be like me. And so we need to look to his word. So courage is trusting in God's promises. It's also living by God's laws. But the reason we can have courage like this, the reason that we can trust in God's promises, the reason that we can live in God's laws is because God is always with us, which brings us to the last point this morning of what courage is. Courage is leaning on God's presence. Courage is leaning on God's presence. This is exactly opposite of what the world would say. The world would say, lean on your own heart. Lean on your own feelings. But courage is truly leaning on God's presence. Because we can't truly trust him the way we need to. We can't truly live the way we need to if we don't understand that he is with us, that we have his presence in us and with us. Joshua is reminded in verse 5. Joshua is reminded that God was with Moses in verse 5 again. In verse 5, he says, No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Just as I was with Moses, I will be with you. This is a powerful statement. Moses was known to be a friend of God. Moses walked with God. There was a point in which he caught a glimpse of God, and God had to turn away so that Moses wouldn't die. That's how close Moses was with God. Moses went on top of a mountain, received the Ten Commandments from God. He was a mediator that had conversations with God about saving Israel when they messed up. And God now says to Joshua, just as I was with Moses... I will be with you. That would be so powerful for Joshua to be reminded of that. That courage, and no matter how much fear he might have had, he can have courage and strength because God is with him. And if God is with him, then who can be against him, as, as we would be told in Romans as well. And so Joshua is reminded that God was with Moses. God tells Joshua that he will be with him as well. Verses 5, we saw that. Verse 9 also says this. Have I not commanded you be strong and courageous? Do not be frightened and do not be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. God says the reason that you don't have to have fear, the reason that you don't have to be dismayed, the reason you can be strong and courageous is because I am with you. That's what he says to Joshua. The Lord your God is with you wherever you go. 
not just at certain times and certain places, but wherever you go, if all the things he's already talked about, as you trust in my promises, as you live in my law, you can lean on my presence. And that's what God is saying to Joshua. And here's the beautiful thing. Joshua he was given this promise, and he leans on that throughout his, throughout his life. But we also have the same promise. Over to the New Testament, Matthew chapter 28. Actually, Matthew chapter 1, we'll start there. But Matthew chapter 1, in the book of Matthew, we're told a couple times that we have the same promise that Joshua had, that God will be with him. Matthew 1, 23 We were just here just a few weeks ago as we were looking at the genealogy of Christ leading up to Christmas. But in Matthew 1.23, Matthew reminds the readers of the prophecy made in Isaiah and says, Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Jesus came and was born and came to this earth to be with us, he was literally to be with us. God with us, not apart from us, not in another place, but with us. God told Joshua, I will be with you wherever you go. And Jesus, when he comes, even as a baby, it's already known that God has come to the earth so that God will always be with us. That's the beginning of Matthew. Now we turn to the end of Matthew in Matthew chapter 28. And Tyler talked about this last week as he talked about discipleship. Matthew 28, in the midst of this talk about what the disciples need to do by going forward and making disciples, we're told right at the very end of Matthew, the reminder that Jesus gives is he, before he ascends to heaven. And in verse 18, And Jesus came and said to them, All authority is in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. Now, I'm going to stop there for a second. That is a big command, right? This is go and change the world. That's what Jesus is saying to the disciples. Go out, make disciples, change the world. Make disciples in all the nations. Teach them. These guys that he's leaving behind, he's saying, take the world by storm. This would be an impossible mission. Very much the same that Joshua would be facing an impossible mission but going into Canaan. But then Jesus reminds them right after he says all of that, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. You guys can do this because I'm with you. You guys can do this because I have the authority and I am with you always. And that's not just to the disciples, that's to us. When we come to know Jesus... As our Savior, we are told that he is Emmanuel. He is God with us. And he tells us that the mission that I've given to you to go out into this world and to speak of my name and to spread the good news of the gospel by making disciples of all the nations, that mission can be done because I am with you. And so if, that, if we can have that courage going into that part of our lives, any part of our life we need courage in, we can know that God is with us. And it's his power that sustains us and not our own. So don't buy the lies of the world that says if you want to be courageous, just do what you want, be who you are, and follow your heart. It's a lie. To have courage is to follow Jesus, to know who he is, and to know that he's with us. That he is the strength that we can lean on and not ourselves. That is courage. And so these first nine verses of Joshua, we've seen Joshua called to courage. But in the midst of that, we know that it's not just for Joshua. That he was facing an impossible mission. He was facing 
change and uncertainty. He was a new leader that Israel hadn't known. And yet God says, be strong and courageous because you can trust me. Be strong and courageous because you have my word. Be strong and courageous because you have me with you always. And we can have the same promises and cling to those no matter what we're facing. A trial, a difficulty, unknown, the change that might be coming. Whatever it is, we can face it with courage because we have God with us. So that leads us to just ask these few questions. Well, the first question, I know we've been talking about Joshua. We did mention Jesus. We mentioned what he's done for us, the promises he's given us. But have you trusted in God's promise of eternal life through Jesus Christ? In Romans 8, I, I, I alluded to it. In Romans 8, we're told that through Jesus, we can have eternal life. We can be heirs with Christ. We can inherit eternal life with him. And that eternal life isn't just about heaven. That eternal life is about a relationship with God that brings his presence in our life every day. And the reason that that could even happen is because Jesus came to this earth as Emmanuel, God with us. He lived a perfect life so that he could one day die on the cross for your sin and mine. Every time we've said, God, I want to go my own way and I want to, I'm going to disobey you, that is sin. And God sent Jesus to live a perfect life so that he could die on the cross, take the punishment for our sin, And say, now that I've taken the punishment, you can have forgiveness of sin if you come to me and receive me. And then he rose again three days later to prove that his promise was true. That he does hold the promise of life. That he can defeat sin and death. That you cannot, you don't have to live in uh, being defeated by sin. You don't have to live in fear of death because Jesus defeated it all when he rose again on the third day. And then... He spent some time on the earth reminding people that as he goes, he'll, he'll leave his presence with them. The Holy Spirit comes and that's part of God's presence in our lives. And Jesus says, I'm always with you. But if you have not come to the point where you have come to Jesus and said, Jesus, I need you. Jesus, I want to, I trust you. I believe in you. I, I repent and turn away from my life and I turn towards you because you're all that I need and I want your promise. If you haven't done that, accept the promise that God has given. Just as the promised land was given to Israel, all they had to do was go and possess it. The gift is there. For God so loved the world, he gave his only son, that whoever believes might have eternal life and will not perish. Just reach out and believe and trust in Jesus. The gift is there. You just need to take it. If you haven't done that, you need to do that today. For all of us here, what are you facing right now where you need courage? Just consider that question. It might be different for all of us. Maybe we're venturing into a new area of life. We've got change coming. Maybe we're hurting and there's just difficulty that just doesn't seem to go away. We need to understand where we need courage and then we need to have the right view of courage. Do we have the right view of courage? When you are facing whatever that is, do you have the right view? It's not just about gritting your teeth and bearing it. It's not just about trusting in yourself and trying to get through it yourself. But no matter what is going on, whatever you need courage in, we need to A, trust God's promises, B, we need to live by God's word, and C, we need to lean on Christ's presence. We need to trust what God has said and believe it. We need to live by what he said and do it. We need to lean on what and who he is because he's with us. That is where true courage is found. True courage is only found in Christ. Joshua found courage in God as Yahweh came to him and says, your name is Yahweh saves, I'm going to save you, you can trust me, and Joshua did. And we too can trust Jesus, that he is the Savior, he is the one that is with us, and no matter what we face, we have him with us right now. And that is the hope that we can have. Let's pray. 
Lord, I pray that you would give us all courage as we face the lives that you've brought to us. I know there's many in this room that are facing difficulties, questions, uncertainty, pain. Whatever it is, Lord, I pray that you would allow us to look to you in our time of need. That the courage that we would find would be found in you and you alone. That we wouldn't look to anyone else. Not look to ourselves, not look to our own hearts. Not just be true to ourselves, but Lord, be true to you. God, I pray if there's anyone in here who does not know Jesus as their Savior yet, that today would be the day that you would grab their heart and help them to see that they need you so that they can embrace the promise that you've given of eternal life. I pray for that, and I pray for the rest of us, God, that you would continue to give us courage through your strength, through your word, and through your presence. I pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand and sing.